right, here we go. If you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Exodus chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. Um, We're starting a brand new series called Be Bold. And the tagline we have with this, we stole from somebody else, um, but it really fits into what we're trying to do is be one bold move can make all the difference. And and when we say that, we're talking about all the difference in our walk with Jesus Christ. Let me kind of set up the series by asking a question. How many of you have ever gotten some bad advice? See, I don't really need to ask that out loud because I know the answer. Everybody has gotten some bad advice. We bought something we shouldn't have bought. We've gone somewhere we shouldn't have gone. Somebody told us to try something that we shouldn't have tried. All of us know somebody or know a situation where we've gotten some bad advice. I got some bad advice one time. Like everybody who knows me well knows that I'm a foodie. And somebody told me once, oysters are good. They're not. They are not Now, you might love oysters. I hate oysters. Hate them. Listen, listen, listen. Every single time I talk about this, there's always somebody who emails me or comes up to me and says, have you tried them with cheese? No, I have not tried them with cheese. That'd be like eating a cheese loogie. Seriously, look at that thing. That looks like God was in the middle of creation, and he got something like right here, and he's like... (coughs) (coughs) oyster send it down that's what it looks like i don't want it with cheese i don't want that with tabasco sauce i don't want it on a cracker like i've tried it different ways i hate it but somebody will always try to convince me and your advice is not factual okay it's not good we've all been in situations where somebody has tried to convince us of something and their advice isn't the best advice in the world that's happened in the real world but it happens in the church world as well now in the church world we don't necessarily mean to give bad advice always but sometimes somebody will come up to us and um we're in the middle of a situation or or maybe we're struggling with a particular sin or maybe we're struggling with trying to make a a decision or maybe we just feel absolutely stuck and this is the advice that somebody will give us first of all we'll tell people well you know brother i'll pray for you and and we don't i mean it's not that we're mean it's not that like we don't mean to not pray it's just that we forget and number two we tell people well, if you just wait on God, God will take care of you. Now, let me pause, because I know some of you are thinking right here. Well, Ryan, in the Bible, in Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, but when the psalmist is writing that, he's talking about this, this inner peace that he's feeling. And so there, there's the whole thing that goes with that. And on the other side, I know some of you are saying, hold on, dude. Last time you preached, you did the whole service about telling us that we needed to wait on God. Yes, I did. You're right. You caught me. We have to wait on God. But listen, and listen, don't miss this. We wait on God until God speaks, until we get a word from God. And when we get a word from God, when God tells us the, like what our next step is, when God tells us do something, start something, stop something, when we get that from God, it's no longer waiting on God. We've got to be willing to take a step of faith. We've got to be willing to be bold and move forward. See, a lot of times we'll tell people, just be still. And some people, if we're careful, we'll be still for 20 years. 
Like we won't move and we'll miss things like miracles. We'll, we'll miss things like, like God, God is moving all around us. Things are happening and we're just standing around. And so we're going to talk about in this series about how we're going to be bold and how we're going to take the steps that we need to take in our journey with Jesus. Today, for the first message in the series, we're going to look at Exodus 14 and we're going to talk about the Egyptians and the Israelites. Let me kind of set up this story. If you're from a Bible background, you know this story. So a real quick review. The Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. And and listen, I need to say this because I try to say this every time I teach on this. At one point, Israel had to escape to Egypt. There were 70 people and there was a famine. And so they were in one place and they had to escape from the place they were at to Egypt. They escaped to Egypt. But then they got enslaved by Egypt. And so sometimes in life, if we're not careful, the thing we escape to will eventually become the thing we need to escape from. Okay? So they escaped to Egypt, and now they have to escape from Egypt because they've been enslaved for over 400 years. Now, I want to pause real quick, and I want to say this. There are a lot of conversations, especially in our country right now, about slavery, and they're kind of legit questions. Listen, slavery did exist in America, and it was a horrible, 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 turn to your neighbor and say horrible, horrible blemish for our country. It was awful. But did you know there are more slaves in the world today than in the history of the world? Why doesn't the church, like think about this, why does the church stop talking about what happened 250 years ago and start dealing with the slave trade crisis we have today? And why does the church be bold and stand up and make a difference on what's going on today? Amen? See, I love it when people say, oh my gosh, I could never identify with a slave. Yes, you can. You can. A slave is someone in a place they don't want to be doing something they don't want to do. That's the simplest definition of what a slave is. Would you agree? A slave is someone who's in a place they don't want to be doing something they don't want to do. And physically, you might be as free as a bird, but spiritually, if you're in a place doing something you don't want to be doing, like like, like for example, many of you know this story. I have no secrets about what my past has been like. Years ago, when I was abusing pain medicine every single day, I did not want to do that. In fact, every morning, I would wake up and I would tell myself, today I'm not going to do it, today I'm not going to do it, today I'm not going to do it, today I'm not going to do it. But by 3 or 4 o'clock, guess what? I'm doing it. I was in a place I didn't want to be doing something I didn't want to be doing. So I'm not talking as an expert here. I'm talking as a fellow struggler. I know what this is like. I know what it's like to be in bondage, to be enslaved to something. And so right here, the Israelites are enslaved to the Egyptians. They're somewhere. They don't want to be doing something they don't want to do. And that's some people in this room. That's some of our friends in Creston. Some people watching online right now. So Moses comes in. Moses is an Israelite. And he goes and he tells Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the the leader, kind of the king of the Egyptians. And Moses is on the outside. He hadn't been enslaved in them. He had been running. And now he comes back and they're they're like stepbrothers or um, half-brothers or something. And and Moses comes in and he goes up to Pharaoh. And he says, those are my people. Let my people go. Probably not how he said. Don't clap. Don't encourage me. And, um, And Pharaoh says, no. 
And there's this great big argument. And so Moses goes and says, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. And God says, hey, I'll handle it. And God sends 10 plagues in order to set the Israelites free. And it takes some time. Don't, don't miss that. Freedom didn't happen overnight. It's a process. It's still a process now. If we're enslaved or something's holding us in bondage, freedom isn't going to happen overnight. It's a process. And so God did some amazing things. He sends these 10 plagues. He sends flies. He turns the water into blood. Um, there's a plague where there's frogs everywhere. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And the Israelites, the people of God, saw all the miracles. Don't miss that. They saw all the miracles. They saw everything that was happening, which is why I always laugh at myself and as well as other people when we say, oh my gosh, if I could just see God do one miracle, I would believe. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. Because think about how many people saw Jesus do miracles in the Bible. Just just think about the time when Jesus fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Anybody remember that? Remember that? How many of those people were at the cross pleading the case for Jesus? Hey, get him down. He is who he said he was. Like, he, he, he is the Messiah. Like, take him down. He's our leader. How, how many people said that? None. See, sometimes we see miracles, and then we just forget. Or we won't be bold and speak out. And so we need to be really careful about what we say. And so there are these ten plagues, and that happens, and then Pharaoh says, fine, just get out of here. And Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're walking towards the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. That's where they're heading. They're going to inherit the land. They're, they're going to have to fight for it. It's another message for another time. Um, but they're going to have to fight for the land, and they're walking towards the promised land, and they get to this obstacle called the Red Sea. This is a major obstacle because they don't they don't have any boats like they didn't know what they were going to run into they didn't take boats with them um they they don't they don't know what they're going to do this is an obstacle now a couple things number one they didn't plan for it number two they didn't know what to do about the obstacle and because of those two things let me ask you a question don't raise your hand just kind of curious has anybody ran into something recently that you didn't plan on that and now you don't know what to do it's an obstacle in your life and it's serious like it's a serious, I'm not talking about there's a writer's strike so they canceled your favorite TV show. Shut up and get over it. I'm talking serious obstacle. See, the Israelites, they're stuck. Now, while they're here, the Egyptians get together and like, we are idiots. We let our entire labor force go. I'm not going to build that wall. I know you ain't going to build that wall and you ain't going to build that wall. What are we going to do, Pharaoh? Pharaoh says, go get them. Go get them and bring them back. And so they get their chariots and their horses and their weapons and their entire army. And they start pursuing the Israelites. This was not going to go well for the Israelites because the Israelites didn't have chariots. They didn't have horses. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have an army. They, They had been slaves. They didn't know how to fight. This was a battle they could not win. The enemy is coming. Now, now don't miss that. If you're an Israelite and you've got an obstacle right here and you've got opposition coming your way, you've got obstacle, opposition, obstacle, opposition. What happens when you're stuck in the middle of an obstacle and opposition? Probably something like anxiety, right? You ever had anxiety? Let me tell you something about anxiety. Some people, you say you have anxiety and you don't have anxiety. You don't. I love you, but you don't. You had to wait 10 extra minutes at McDonald's because you had to get the most complicated thing on the menu and then tell them to leave seven things off of it and it took them an extra 10 minutes to make it and it freaked you out. That's not anxiety, that's you being a princess. There's a difference. Am I right? 
Well, Ryan, I got stuck in traffic. Shut up. That's not anxiety. Anxiety is, I don't know if I can make it another week. I don't know how I can handle this problem. I don't know what's going to happen. It's panicking. It's sometimes creating hypothetical situations in your mind. That, that doesn't exist, yes or no. Anxiety is when you're stuck because you've got an obstacle and you don't see any way through the obstacle. You can't go back because either, l- l- listen, if you go back, the enemy is either going to capture you or, or, or put you back in slavery or kill you. And that's a tough place to be, yes or no. By the way, in the New Testament, Jesus is known, he's, he's often called the Prince of Peace. We're told in Philippians that Jesus gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so if peace is one of the primary emotions associated with Jesus, what do you think we could say one of the primary emotions associated with Satan is? Anxiety? Think we could say that? Let me ask you this question. Satan doesn't know the future, but he can anticipate the future. Would you agree with that? See, doesn't it seem, think about this. Doesn't it seem like just over the past 10, 15, 20 years, the world has become a more anxious place, yes or no? Yeah. And so what if Satan is anticipating the return of Jesus happening really soon? And because he's getting more anxious, he's trying to make us feel more anxious. I know I'm just hypothetically speaking right here. I've had people ask me, hey, Ryan, do you think we're living in the end times? This is always my answer. We've never been closer than we are right now. Seriously, we've never been closer to the end than we are right now. I might preach on that, the end times one day. Because it freaks everybody out. Everybody gets nervous and scared. And here's here's what's weird. (laughs) Let me just say this. Christians get nervous about going to heaven. Do you know that? Some of you right now, you're like, yeah, I'm I'm nervous about it. There's an an old Albert King jazz song. I, I, I know other people have have said this too, um, but I just love old black jazz. And Albert King, he goes, everybody want to go to hell. Don't nobody want to die. He sounds just like that too, promise you. Everybody want to go to heaven, don't nobody want to die. People are like, I can't wait to see Jesus. What if he comes back tomorrow? Oh, I don't want him to come back tomorrow. I do. Anyway, this is off, off topic. Anyway, so this is anxiety. When you're stuck between an op- opposition and an obstacle. But so then Moses steps in. And this is great. Because Moses gives them the worst advice ever. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Moses. He's a great leader. But he had never been in this situation. But what he tells them is terrible advice. This is the first thing he says. And on the surface, like, it, it looks okay. But it's really not. Here we go. Exodus 14, verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Now, typically, that's a good thing. Don't live in fear. We should not live in fear. There are people that live in fear. You should not live in fear. I'm trying not to live in fear. I'm not doing a great job with it. Because just the other day, I saw a mouse in the foyer on Monday. Dude, we pay good money to not have mice in this church. Seriously. And so I saw a mouse in the foyer. I'm terrified of mice. I had on the stupid boot. So I couldn't run. I can't run fast anyway. But... Nobody's ever looked at me and said, man, I bet Ryan's fast. No, he is not. So I had on that boot, and as fast as I could, I drugged the boot back to my office, and I locked the door, and I put stuff in front of the door so it couldn't get underneath the crack. Like, I'm try- one day, one day I'm not going to live in fear, I promise. And so God tells us we're not to live in fear. But here's the problem with telling somebody, don't live in fear, don't be afraid. You tell somebody, don't be afraid, like our minds our minds automatically default to doing the thing that somebody tells us not to do. For example, don't think of a red dog. 
Don't think about a red dog. Do not think about a red dog. Don't think about a red dog. How many of you think about Clifford right now? How many of you don't even know who Clifford is? That's probably all right. Once you tell somebody not to do something, they usually default to that, right? So Moses thinks he's helping them. Moses is like, all right, I got something for you guys. Don't be afraid. All right, big Mo. <laughs> we were fine until you told us that. What was he afraid of? But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. And this is where it gets really bad. This is horrible. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. This is a partial truth. Like the Lord is going to rescue them. But the just stand still part, if they would have listened to Moses, obstacle, opposition. If they would have listened to Moses, just stood still, they would have gotten either captured or killed. And they definitely would have missed a miracle. Hypothetically, let's say you're, well, we can't, let's say the person you love the most, all right? This can't be your spouse, and you'll see why in a minute. Let's say the person you love the most, they're standing out, out there on Highway 30. You're, you're standing in the parking lot. They're standing in the middle of the lane, and you're just looking at them. And they're facing this direction, and they can't see what's going on. But you can see everything going on, and you see a semi-truck barreling down on them at 120 miles an hour. You don't have a chance. Like, you can't grab them. You can't run. You can't die for them. All you can see is the truck barreling down on them. This is the person you love the most. See why it can't be your spouse? Because some of you are thinking, oh, i got life insurance. Like, that's that's cool. (laughs) Person you love the (laughs) most. Sign up for the marriage weekend. That'll be... Like, really good for you. It's the person you love the most, right? You can't help them. Now, you aren't going to say, be still and know that I am God. And they're going to be like, ah, yes. Bam! No. If somebody's in a middle situation like that, you don't say, be still, brother. You say, move, chick. Get out the way. Get out the way, chick. Get out the way. That's the G-rated version of that. I'm G-rated sometimes. <laughs> Some of you are laughing way too hard. These sinners know what that is. Moses is telling them, just be still. And we do that sometimes. Just be still. Just let go and let God. And still, I don't even know what that means. But anyway, watch this. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. That, that's true. That part is true. Verse 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Now that part is true as well. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. In other translations, he says again, just be still. So I can see the Israelites saying, man, this Moses guy, every time he says something's going to happen, it happens. So let's, you know, hey, we're at the beach. Let's get our chair out. Let's get a beach towel out. Let's get our umbrella, open up the Yeti, pull out a cold drink. We're just going to watch God do something. I know this is an obstacle. I know opposition is coming, but God's going to do something. And by, by the way, I've heard people say, if you're godly and you follow Jesus, you'll never face an obstacle. The, the only problem with that is like the whole flipping Bible, right? Paul, the apostle Paul, his life was actually great until he started following Jesus. Then he lost everything. He got thrown in jail and he got killed. So the fact that you're facing an obstacle doesn't mean you're ungodly. It means you're human. Oftentimes, if you're following Jesus, Satan is going to try to stop you. That's where obstacles come in. So all the Israelites, they've been told, just be still. And I imagine that Moses is feeling pretty good about himself. And watch what happens. Because you know, sometimes, sometimes God will just let us get all the stupid out. 
I know that's what he does for me. Sometimes I say stupid stuff, and God's like, are you done, Ryan? Are you done? Just sit down there, boy. Just, just sit down and shut up. Now, before I move on, I'm not dragging this out. I'm just telling you. I've heard entire messages preached on this. Like, I've heard pastors tell their entire congregations, be still and let the Lord fight for you. And everybody goes out and gets their butt kicked that week. You know why? Because the very next verse in the story, they don't preach on this. They don't talk about this. Moses told them, be still and, and watch this. I love this. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. You see the problem here? Moses is like, be still. What do you think, God? Oh, move! God lets Moses finish, and he's like, are you done? Are you done? Move! This completely contradicts everything Moses had just told them. Because they're like, oh, Moses, that was a beautiful speech. We're at the beach. We're going to make t-shirts. This is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Move! Now, if you're Moses, you're thinking, which way? Which way are we going to move, God? I mean, do we, do we fight the Egyptians? Do we jump in the water? Do we swim? Like, what, what do we do? By the way, here's the answer. Always move towards the obstacle, not the opposition. If you move toward the opposition, if you move towards the opposition, you get unfocused. The reason, l- 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 listen, there's no reason to go back from what God delivered you from. Like, that's a good word for somebody in this place. You need to write that down. There is never a reason to go back to the place that God delivered you from. It's crazy. Think about this. It took a short amount of time for God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Many times we keep trying to go back to the place that God delivered us from. We don't move towards the opposition, church. We look at the obstacle because God has a way of taking obstacles, no matter how big they are, and taking those obstacles and turning them into an opportunity. And so what if we stopped looking at whatever we're facing as an obstacle and we started saying, God, this is an opportunity for you to show up in my life. I know it's big. I know it looks impossible. I know it seems overwhelming. I know there's some anxiety. But at the end of the day, anxiety, listen, if we give in to the enemy, we either get captured or killed. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But if we walk towards the obstacle? Because see, if you're Moses, you're like, all right, get moving. It's, It's a little bit confusing, and then this happens. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Hold up. Moses had never done that before. Now, he's done some cool stuff with his staff. Like the first time he ever did something with his staff, God said, throw it down, and it becomes a snake. God says, pick it up. That's where I'd have been like, nope. I'm done. Somebody else lead. Moses did, and then some cool stuff happened. Moses did some really cool stuff, but he's never done this. The reason we aren't bold in taking our next step often The reason we get anxious is because God is asking us to take a step and do some stuff we've never done before. And listen, when we're not bold and we get anxious, it doesn't mean we're ungodly. It means we're going to have to trust God in the situation. Because watch this. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water. Now, Now, if you're Moses, that sounds impossible. You've never seen this before. Divide the water? Like, God, what, what even is that? Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. That seems impossible. And it is. Unless God is involved. So what is the step? We talk about next steps around here all the time. What's the thing that you need to do that seems impossible? 
Because there's some people here that maybe you feel stuck. Maybe anxiety is overwhelming you because you're stuck between the obstacle and the opposition. And you've had this attitude. Now, I know when I've gotten stuck, I've had this attitude too, so I'm not blaming you. I'm just going to wait. God, I'm just going to wait. But God is saying, move. Move. So what is the step you need to take? What's that thing you need to do? Let, let me give you a few examples today um, of what you can do to be bold in. Maybe it's, maybe it's something simple. Simple, but way difficult. Maybe it's this thing called confession. Maybe you need to be bold in confessing. Confession, here's what I know about most people in church today. Nobody in church today came into church wondering if the thing that you're struggling with, the thing that you're wrestling with, is a sin. Like, nobody walked in here today and sat down and said, God, man, this pornography thing has got me. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Hope Ryan comes out and talks about it today. And then I walk out and I say, point number one, porn is bad. Okay, wow, porn is bad. I'm going to write that down. I didn't know. Oh, that's great. I'm not going to tell anybody about it, but porn is bad. Number two, stop watching porn. Oh, man. Whew, that's Ryan's on fire today. That's good stuff. Stop watching porn. Number three, seriously, knock it off. All right, got that down. Knock it off. Man, that was amazing. I had no idea that porn was wrong. And now that I know porn is wrong, I'm going to go home. No, no. See, I would tell you, stop trying to figure out if something is right or wrong. Look at what you're doing. If it's wrong, it's sin. And if it's sin, you need to confess it. Now, churches don't talk about confession a lot. And here's why we don't talk about confession a lot. Because the church is all about your image. It's all about you. It's all about how you look. You got to look like you got it all together. How many times though? How many times? How many times in this place have we seen people? It looks like on the outside, they have it all together. And all of a sudden, one day their life seemingly implodes for no reason. The reason it imploded is because somewhere along the way, they never felt the freedom to actually step in and admit what they're struggling with. I heard it said not too long ago, and it's so true. The church has no problem with the concept of original sin. We're just surprised when people do it. I want this. I say this all the time, but it's the honest to God truth. I want this to be the safest place on the planet where you can come in and you can confess what you're going through. You can confess sin. Every week we have an invitation time. And during that invitation time, the invitation is always open to walk to the back of the sanctuary to one of our prayer stations and talk with our prayer team. There are people there that we trust that you can trust. And listen, you're not going to shock them. Like confession. Listen, I know from personal experience, confession shatters the shackles that hold us back into stepping into the opportunity, the obstacle that God has for us. If, if you think that this church is for a place for people who have it all together, you came to the wrong place. I am a messed up, broken, jacked up sinner who if it weren't for the grace of God would bust hell wide open. And so are you. So let's stop pretending. I'm just saying this is a place where it's okay to confess. I'm wrestling with this. Got this sin in my life. Man, dude, I need help and not worry about what other people are going to think about you. So confession. Number two, maybe it's to be bold in authenticity. Be bold with honesty. When I say authenticity, I'm talking, why don't you just admit that, man, you're not in a good place. Do you know how much weight will be lifted off your shoulders if you're not in a good place and you just admit you're not in a good place? But we lie every Sunday. 
Every Sunday, we all tell the same lie. All of us tell the same lie. Hey man, how you doing? Fine. Frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. That's what fine stands for. How you doing? I'm frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. How you doing? We wouldn't say that, but that's what we mean when we say fine. What if we said, I'm not, I'm not really doing well. In fact, this week sucked. See, some people, the reason you're stuck in anxiety and fear and worry is because you, you keep telling people you're fine and you're not. You're freaked out. What would happen if you just said, you know what, man, I'm just really wrestling right now. I'm wrestling with this problem. I'm struggling with this issue. Man, I'm having problems with my kids. I'm having problems with my parents. I'm wrestling in my marriage. What if we got real about what we're really struggling with? Because when we get real, the enemy loses his grip. I'll tell you this. The past two weeks for me have been incredibly difficult. Like incredibly difficult. I lost one of my best friends who's my age, the guy who's the best man in my wedding, died, brain aneurysm, boom, died like that. Just the week before, I was talking to him about coming out here and possibly running our outreach center, dead, just like that. One of my mentors from Bible college, probably one of the main reasons why I'm here at this church where his words of wisdom and advice about leaving the big city and coming to rural Iowa, died. Just now he's, he's, just, he's, he's, he's just gone, can't talk to him anymore. My dog, I know this sounds stupid, but my dog Zeno, my boy, going to have surgery tomorrow morning. He probably ain't going to make it through the surgery, right? Stuff sucks. Life gets in the way. Life is hard and difficult. We can't do life alone. We need each other, but we have to be authentic and honest about what's going on in our lives so we can build each other up. Stop tearing each other down and build each other up. And finally, be bold. And embracing our next step and taking it. What's your next step? What's your next step in your faith journey? Everybody in this room, everybody watching online right now, everybody in Crescent has a next step. Confession, authenticity, maybe it's something else. What is your next step? See, Moses is trying to step through this obstacle. The opposition is coming his way. And if you're Moses, you're like, all right, God, this whole Red Sea thing. Sounds to me like you got it worked out. That, that, that's incredible. I, I still don't know how you're going to do it. But you said it's going to work. Pick up my sticks. It's going to be great. But, but see, God, this problem is I, I, don't, I don't even know what's going to happen. I've never seen this before. Which, by the way, when you've never seen it before, that's why it's called a miracle. He still does miracles today. Amen? So I've never seen this before, God. The Egyptians are closing in. I can't fight them and go through the obstacle at the same time. So anything you could do, I'd really appreciate it. Now, I'm not sure he prayed that prayer, but I think it happened because of what happens next in the text. God says this, verse 17. I will harden the hearts. Who will harden the hearts? God. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. Now, first, that doesn't sound very good. Um, so we're going to jump in the water and start swimming? And then, the, and then the, the Egyptians are going to come after us? Uh, sounds great, God. Then he says this. My great glory will be displayed. Hold up. In the middle of a problem, God? Like, hey, God, I ain't really concerned about your glory. When we get to the other side, we can say, man, God really did get all the glory through that. But it's really hard to be concerned with the glory of God when you're about to be killed, right? But don't miss this. When God gets glory, you get joy. You can't separate those two things. When God gets glory, you get joy. So God starts talking about something at a time doesn't seem important to Moses, but at the end of the day, 
It's going to be super important. He tells Moses, my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops. Huh? Hold up, God. What you're saying is, like, what? God, we're the good guys. (laughs) You're going to display your glory through the enemy? Sounds backwards to me, God. Sounds like you would say your glory is going to be displayed through us. How are you going to use the enemy hell-bent on destroying us for your glory? Well, did you know that God will take the opposition coming against you and use that opposition for his glory and your joy? You want me to prove it to you? About 2,020-some years ago, there was this thing in Rome called the cross. <laughs> These Romans used it for execution, and God said, I'm going to use that weapon of the Romans for my glory. And listen to me. If he can do it with a bloodstained cross, and he can do it with the largest army in the world, he can do it with us today. God will bring glory through our enemies being defeated. Amen? Watch this. He says, my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots, and his charioteers. Don't miss this. He says, hey, that thing you're the most afraid of, that's the thing I'm going to take care of. That's a word for somebody here today. The thing you're the most afraid of, that's the thing God said, if you'll follow me, if you'll take a step of faith, I'll take care of it. If you stand still, that's on you. But if you follow me, I'll take care of it. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know I am the Lord. God, even let your enemies know who he is. Then he goes on to say this, verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved to the front and stood behind them. Don't miss this. When the Israelites were going through the desert, um, they didn't know where to go. And so God sent a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by the night. So when they were first out, that's how they get to the obstacle. Like, it's pretty easy to follow God when there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Like the fire's going this way, I'm gonna go this way. The cloud's going this way, I'm gonna go that way. That's how they get to the place where they face the obstacle. Don't miss this. Sometimes God will intentionally lead us to obstacles so we can learn to trust him in the situation. So God takes this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire and he doesn't stay out in front of the Israelites. He moved behind them in order to put separation between his people and the enemy. God moved. Now, why did he do this? This is so tr- strategic, and this is beautiful. It's so relevant to us today. Verse 20, the cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. God is setting them up for success, spiritual success. He didn't wipe out the enemy, but God said, I'm going to put something between you and the enemy. And so I'm going to set you up for success in a way you never could have thought or imagined on your own. But you've got to take the step of faith. And when they take a step of faith, God moved. Can you imagine if you're the Israelites? I wonder if God's in this. All of a sudden, fire goes over your head and it comes between you and the Egyptians. If you're the Egyptians and a pillar of fire falls, you're like, huh, you know what, guys, hold off a minute. He holds off the enemy so they can move through the obstacle. Now, let me ask you this question. If they decide to not move through the obstacle, what happens? Captured, killed, miss a miracle. The reason I'm saying that today is because God is telling us, I will handle the opposition coming against you. Because watch this. This is so awesome. Verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path. Who opened up a path? Who opened it? The Lord. The Lord opened the path. But do you know how the Lord opened the path? Moses raised his hand. 
If Moses doesn't raise his hand, the Lord does not open a path. If we don't take a step of faith, God is not going to open that path. See, once Moses moved, God moved. And, and by the way, God's move was way more impressive than Moses' move. The Lord opened a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. Now, I've always imagined this, and it's probably because of the cartoons or because of the Ten Commandments movie or whatever. I've always imagined, like, Moses got up, staff in hand, stood, stood like on a rock, said, part! And immediately the sea parted. It didn't happen immediately. It took all night for the sea to part. See, sometimes God doesn't work as fast as we want him to. That does not mean that God is not working. See, Moses is standing there. He's got his stick up. He's talking. He's doing whatever. He's watching the seabed part. So the people of Israel then walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. If you're an Israelite, you don't want that happening. See, at some point, the cloud left and the enemy's coming after them. And, and, and what you need to get out of this, the reason I bring this up, is because when you're walking through your miracle in your step of faith, don't think the enemy is not going to pursue you. The enemy is still going to come after you. I wish that wasn't true, but it's true. He's coming after you. But God will only allow the enemy to pursue you up to a certain point where you can truly see that God is going to destroy, not you, but the work of the enemy in you. See, too many people think, God wants to destroy me. God wants to hurt me. No, he doesn't. God doesn't want to hurt you. God doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to destroy the work of the enemy in you and around you. God wants to destroy the work of the enemy. Watch this. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. You know the problem you're worried about? God will throw it into total confusion. Watch how he does it. This is crazy. He twisted their chariot wheels. And watch what this caused them to say. Let's get out of here. Away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. You know it gets real. When the enemy is saying the Lord is fighting for them. Watch this, verse 26. When all the Israelites had reached the other side. How many Israelites? How many of them? All. When all the Israelites had reached the other side. See, God protects his people. God wants his children to walk out of slavery and into freedom. This is the providential hand of God. So when all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. In other words, everything you're worried about, once you get to the place where I've called you to be, just raise your hand and watch me handle it. You know, sometimes when I raise my hand in worship, sometimes when my hand goes up, it's just because I'm caught in the moment. But sometimes... It's literally me telling God, God, I'm surrendering to you the enemy that I can't beat on my own. There are people here, you're stuck between an opposition and an obstacle. If you turn this way, it overwhelms you. You get captured or killed spiritually. But if you'll face the obstacle, you'll discover that God takes obstacles and turns them into opportunities for his glory and your joy. I'm telling you, where I'm at today compared to where I was years ago, man, I've got more joy in my life than I've ever had. And it's not because I'm so smart, and I'm so godly, and I'm so good. It's just that somewhere along the way, I started waking up every morning and said, all right, God, if you show me what to do today, I'll give it my best shot. And then I'll just watch God kind of take care of stuff. In fact, so as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them 
into the sea. See, you don't even have to fight the battle. If they would have turned around and tried to fight the battle, they would have lost. And there are some people in this room, you're trying to fight battles, and God is saying, no, 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 stop it. Give me that battle. Give me that battle back. Let me have the battle, and you move on. Well, no, I'd rather fight the enemy than walk into uncertainty. That's stupidity. Listen, God does some of his greatest works when we're willing to step into uncertainty. That's called faith. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Now, do you think on the other side of the sea, when they had made it through their obstacle, and they turned around and they saw the enemy destroyed, do you think they wrestled with fear and worry and anxiety? No. Their worry actually broke into worship. We'll see that later on in the text. See, God can take the situation you're in the middle of right now that's causing you so much fear and worry and anxiety, the thing you don't even know, like how you're going to make it through the week, he could take that situation and turn it into something you can worship over. I'm telling you, the things that he has brought me through, like I'm glad he brought me through that. I thank God that I've seen the things I've seen. I thank God for feeling the things I have felt. They weren't great at the time, but I'm telling you, if you'll focus on the obstacle Instead of the opposition, he'll bring you through it in ways you could never imagine. With that in mind, what's your next step of faith? He split the sea so they could walk right through it. And if he did it for them, he can do it for us. Let's pray. God, right now, I want to ask you, God, that every single person in here, that you would speak to us what our next step of faith is. Is it confession? Is it honesty? Authenticity? Is it something else? God, I I pray that you give us a word of what is our step. God, that we would know that you didn't give us miracles in the Bible so we could admire the people of the past. You gave us miracles so that we could say, God, if you did it for them, you can do it for us. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so may we know, God, that if you're able to part the sea for them, I pray for every single person here that we would know you could part the problem for us. And that, God, we would focus on the opportunity in our obstacle rather than the opposition of our enemy. Jesus, may we know that you're able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Mike is going to lead us in a song. And, and during this time, if, you, if there's anything that you want to talk about or pray about, this is your next step having a hard time with something, if there's a sin going on in your life, we, like we, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. As I said earlier in the message, we've got stations across the back of our sanctuary where people are there who we trust, who you can trust, who you're not going to shock, who would love to pray with you and for you about what you're going through. Maybe you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life. You've never acknowledged out loud the need for a savior. They would love to lead you in a prayer back there this morning. If there's anything I can help you with, find me after service. I would love to talk with you about what you're going through, about what's going on. Because again, we're not alone in this thing. And so as we, as we sing, God, I pray that you would get the glory. That you would fill us with great joy. That we would know, God, that nothing is impossible with you. There's no obstacle that's bigger in our lives than you in our lives, Jesus. And so, God, I ask that you move in this sanctuary in ways only you can, the hearts of your people, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.